Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Good evening. Good evening and welcome to the North Oakland Speaker Meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. My name is DeMarie and I'm an alcoholic and you're tonight's secretary. Hello everyone. Please turn off your cell phones. Please help me to open the meeting with a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. The courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and to help other alcoholics achieve sobriety. Okay, my name is Demarie and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, And I'll share my experience with hope for approximately 10 minutes. But before I start, I would like to read one little piece out of the big book that I find extremely significant for me. Hopefully some of you will too. Um, welcome uh, to any newcomers, and um, yeah, each individual in his personal, this, excuse me, this is from There's a Solution, page 29, sorry about that, <laughs> that's my daughter, she's 11, trying to contact that. Anyway, each individual in his personal story is described in his own language and from his own point of view, the way he established his relationship with God. These give a fair cross-section of our membership and a clear-cut idea of what has actually happened in their lives. We hope no one will consider these self-revealing accounts in bad taste. Our hope is that many alcoholic men and women desperately in need will see these pages, and we believe that it is only by fully, fully disclosing ourselves and our problems that they will be persuaded to say, yes, I am one of them. Two, I must have this thing. Um, yeah, I've, you know, been in and out of the big book quite a bit, and that's one of the things that really stood out for me, the fact that each individual in the, in, in the personal stories revealed, you know, how they established their conscious contact with God. It's just one of those things I overlooked for so long. Anyway, um, I find it significant. Uh, my sobriety date is August 1st of 2004, and... Um, and I'm grateful to be sober today by the grace of God and the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I got here the non-traditional way. I got here through homelessness. Um, and um, I was not on a winning streak when I got here. My life was a mess. Um, and I'll just kind of keep it brief because I only have 10 minutes. But I was practically, not practically, literally homeless, um, sleeping in a car, eating out of undesirable places, and uh, had nothing going for myself. I had lost... Um, Good paying job. I lost wife. I lost everything um, from drinking and using. Um, I started drinking at an early age, and uh, you know it just snowballed from there. And I won't get into a long drunk log, but I initially tried to get sober in '92, and um, I went through a treatment facility. I had been in and out of institutions, state prisons, and stuff like that. I called my parole officer and I asked him. I said, "Is there any way I can get some help?" I'm, you know. I'm using and I'm drinking and I'm, you know, really having a tough time out here and I don't want to go back to prison. So he said, yeah, he called a program and got me in a program. I stayed there a year, uh, Walden House over in San Francisco. And, um, you know, when I left, I, uh, you know, would go to a meetings occasionally, but I really didn't want what you people had to offer. I just would go to a meeting occasionally and hope that I would get what you had by osmosis, basically just by being there and not doing any of the work. That lasted about a year. I began to drink beer and I began to smoke marijuana and I began to get into other heavy substances again. And um, I didn't fall fast, but I fell hard. So it took me about 10 years to get here, to get back here after that. Um, and again, I was in 
really bad shape. I lost everything. But I was desperate enough when I got here to ask for help. Um, there was a gentleman who spoke at a meeting after, I think I had like 10, 11 days sober. And um, we were over at the Marina Dock in San Francisco. Um, I'm skipping over a lot because I only have 10 minutes. But anyway, I just left the 10-day, well, it was a treatment center. And after 10 days, I left. I was like, I don't want to work for you guys. I don't want to, you know, um, do your program thing here. I need to get out. I need to get a job. I need to try to help my family and help my daughter. So I left. And I started to go to meetings on my own, and um, I heard this guy speak over at the Marina Dock. And after that meeting, I asked him would he sponsor me. He gave me his number and um, called him the next day. He asked me a series of questions, and uh, he asked me to meet him up in the Castro uh, that Wednesday night. And me being a convict from a rough neighborhood in San Francisco, meeting up in the Castro for me was really kind of like strange. <laughs> um, but... I met him up in the cash room, you know what I mean? And when, I got, when I got there, I was thinking, well, what if some of my homeboys see me up here you know, in the cash room? And then the second thought came to me, well, if they see you up here, what are they doing? <laughs> so that, re that revealed a lot for me. It showed me how all through my life I did things to please other people. Here was a man who was willing to sacrifice his time to help me save my life, and I was concerned about what other people thought. You know what I mean? It just really opened up a whole new revelation for me. But anyway, I began to meet him regularly on Wednesday night up in the Castro at Tully's Coffee Shop. And sometimes it would be me and a group of like three or four other gays. Um, three or four guys that were gay. And we would go and we would, you know, have dinner or whatever. And, you know, that fear of being with those people began to slip away. You know what I mean? That fear of what other people thought began to slip away, huh? He read the big book with me religiously every Wednesday night, took me through step by step. Um, and my life began to get different. You know what I mean? It didn't get perfect by far. I still had some alcoholic behavior, although I didn't drink and use. Um, a defective character was still there. Um, but I stayed and I stuck in this program and things began, you know what I mean, to change for me. Uh, went back to work. Um, you know, started to have a life that was, you know, somewhat meaningful. And, um, all I can tell you is that if you're, if you're an alcoholic and you're an addict and, you know, you, you've been suffering and struggling from this disease, that, you know, there's a solution here. This program really, really works, you know, for people who put the time and energy into it. And I'm not going to tell you I put a whole lot of time and energy into it. I just showed up and did the things that were suggested on a daily basis. And, um, you know, my life is different. I really believe that the obsession to drink and use has been lifted. You know, I don't wake up in the morning thinking, you know, where am I going to get, you know, money to get the next drink or the next drug or, you know, things of that nature. Um, and I do believe that, you know, it's because of, you know, having a spiritual awakening, you know, as a result of this program. Um, you know, again, like I said, you know, life is not perfect, but I haven't found it necessary to go out and get loaded. I haven't found it necessary to, you know, go to the bar or, you know, the liquor store. Um, because what I realize is that, you know, not only do I have a good life, but if I go to the bar, then I'm not only putting the 5 or $10 up there for a drink, I'm putting my job up there, I'm putting my relationships up there, I'm putting, I'm putting everything that this program has given me, you know what I mean, back up there, you know, and I'm putting the keys to my apartment, I'm putting the keys to the car, I'm putting everything up there. I'm an extreme alcoholic. When I drink and when I use, um, I don't know when to stop, you know what I mean? I hear people say that they went out for a week, they went out for a month. That's never been my experience. You know what I mean? When I go, I go. And, um, you know, I wind up in, you know, really, really, you know, precarious situations. Um, you know, so what I do today is I continue to go to meetings on a regular basis. I continue to try to work with other alcoholics the best as I can. I continue to show up when people ask me to show up and be of service. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm back in my daughter's life, you know what I mean, which is really important to me. Um, the ex-wife still has tons of resentments about the things that I did, which is understandable. But the program has taught me forgiveness. You know what I mean? It's really taught me to pray for people um, who I have difficulties with, which was huge for me. It was totally contrary to the way that I knew how to live in the past. You know what I mean? I would not pray for you if I had a resentment towards you. That just wasn't in my thought process. <laughs> but, um, 
But I tell you, it's one of the most beneficial tools that this program has given me. And it's like everything I thought, um, you know, I knew to do and how to deal with situations, um, the program has given me something opposite that's been effective and, you know, really just helped me live, you know, somewhat peaceful life. Um, there's still ups and downs. I still go through, you know, normal, you know, problems that people have, but nothing near, you know what I mean, what I was going through when I got here. You know, so if you're new and um, you're looking for, you know, a way out, I, you know, strongly encourage you to give this program a chance. Um, you know, if it worked for me, you know, Skid Row alcoholic, I'm sure, you know, um, it can work for, you know, anybody. Thank you. And now, I would like to turn the meeting over to tonight's speaker. Hi. Leah. My name's Leah. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Leah. And uh, on the way here, I was screaming into my arm, truly stressed, and I was fucking freaked out about coming here. My husband's all, yeah, there's a hundred people, and I was like, oh, fuck, thanks. <laughs> um, so, anyways, I'll give you some just basic facts about myself. Uh... My Friday is October 23rd, 2001, so if you're bad with math, like I am, uh, I'll be nine one day at a time, hopefully in October, on October 23rd, not October 22nd. Um, I love when newcomers are like, I have 30 days tomorrow. And you're like, no, you don't have 30 days yet, it's tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I'm not going to go out and tell, you know, say that to anybody, but um, that's just me being judgmental. Uh, I have a sponsor. I currently have two, two sponsees that I'm working in the book with, and I have um, several other that call me, and um, my sponsor has a sponsor, and I meet with her on a weekly basis, and I just finished my fourth step because my sponsor just finished her fourth step, which propelled me into the action to finish mine, which is how the program works, which is great, and um, what else? I have a home group Tuesday night central office. Fabulous meeting if you haven't come. There's a lot of shit talking and cross talking, which is why I love it. And um, what else? Uh, I tr at bare minimum, I need to get to three meetings a week. Um, even at that, I'm a little loopy. Um, four or five wouldn't be much better. Um, and did I say I have a commitment? I have a commitment Tuesday night in the secretary. So I just say those things because of those are uh, the important things about my program because they keep me sober and uh, and. I'm not sure which one of those things keep me sober, so I do all of them so that I don't go out and drink. So, um, fuck, 40 minutes is a long time to talk, so. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to get up and say it in like five minutes and be done and then just stand there. Um, so I'll just, uh, I'm going to just do the basic format, what it was like, what happened, what it's like now. So uh, I come from a long line of alcoholics. My... Um, the, the, the one that's farthest back that I know of is my great-grandfather, um, and he died when he was 29 of cirrhosis of the liver. My mom says she remembers seeing him in a picture in a casket, dead, um, obviously, um, yeah, from cirrhosis. And then my father's father was an alcoholic, and um, a piece of shit father, as far as I can tell, from, you know, what my father learned from him. And, um, my father obviously was an alcoholic, um, and was a piece of shit father. Um, you know, God bless him. And, uh, I am an alcoholic. So there you go. Uh, as far back as I can remember, I did really weird and kind of inappropriate things. I, um, I think I like, I was four or five and I had this little friend who lived down the street and somehow I would pick up cigarettes, four or five. I'd pick up cigarettes and we'd go down to his brother, had this like fort down like by this creek and I would smoke them at like four or five years old. Like, okay, that is true. Um, and then I kept smoking because my girlfriend would steal these big cartons of Vincent and Hedges and we'd go up to the top of the hill where I lived and we'd smoke and my mom said she used to hear us swearing. We just got there swearing smoke. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, elementary school. It was elementary. So then um, the first time I drank, my sister and I were playing um, church and my grandmother had this utility room and there was this big, yeah, we went to church every Sunday. There was this big, oh, it was a refrigerator just like that, an old one, and we sat on top of it and we had this big um, jug of gallo, my sister would say, the body of Christ, and she gave me a cracker. <laughs> you know what's coming next? The cup of salvation. <laughs> Yeah, so I got drunk. I fell back and hit my head in the um, little, it was the bathtub, and I was laughing and hit my head, and it, I hit it really hard. 
I think I was eight. I was eight. And then um, I think at nine I smoked pot with my girlfriend, but I didn't know that it was the buds that you're supposed to smoke. We were smoking the leaves in a tobacco pipe. Um, very silly. But I was trying to smoke weed. Um, and then I think I started chewing tobacco when I was in middle school. And I started, I was still smoking. And my sister taught me how to snort. Um, I think there were diet pills cut up. Um, middle school, we would like get what we could and, you know, and pot to get whatever we could and we would do it. And then high school, like the, the like drunk, like the beginning of my real drunks was, um, I had this, it was the love of my life who I met at some dance when I was like in eighth grade and he was in high school and I told him I was a sophomore in high school and he was like a, yeah, I think he was a sophomore. I was eighth grade and I was already lying then and, um. And somehow, I don't know, I got back together with him, or I got together with him, and uh, we were supposed to go to his dance, and I got all the signatures so he could come from another school, and then the motherfucker went to the R.E.M. concert and ditched me. So we went to this guy's house. I was going to show him. So I got this big, tall glass, a glass, a glass, glass, and I filled it with vodka, and I slammed it. And then we went to the dance, and to the, no, we were at the game, and I just remember sitting there and like... I couldn't sit up, and they were, like, trying to hold me up. And then I was, like, you know, started spinning. And they're, like, look, at, look we're going to get you Snickers. So they got me a couple Snickers, and I, I had the Snickers and vodka. <laughs> and then it started raining, and the ex-boyfriend came because it, the, the concert got rained out. So we came back, and they're, like, here, Brian. Here's the other Brian. They're all, here's Leah. Good luck, man. So he, like, got me, got me into his car, and then he tried to drive me home. But it, I was spinning so bad. I was all, pull over, pull over, I can't see, because I was so ill. I, was, I had, you know, alcohol poisoning. So he got me out of the car, and he sat me on this little, um, I know the word, anybody speaks Spanish? Uh, sidewalk. I was sat on the sidewalk, I was like, I know the word in Spanish. I sat on the sidewalk, and then I fell back, and I cracked my head, and I couldn't get back up. And so, I think I think I puked, and then he got me back up, and got me in the car, and um, drove me home, and rang the doorbell. Carried me. My mom answered the door, and she was like, Ryan! And she put me in my bed, and then he left, and my mom came in, and she looked over me, and she's like, I can't believe you. You remind me of your father. And I was like, yeah. like, and the last thing I want to be is my loser father. And uh, and that was the start of my drinking. like, that, And that's kind of the way it went pretty much every time that I drank. I was fun. Um, <laughs> my poor friends and my poor boyfriends. Um yeah, it was no good. Um, although my drinking, oh, I got into trouble a lot when I, so I went to college and went to Berkeley and unfortunately grad, joined a sorority. Oh, God. <laughs> um, I think that may have been part of the mental illness too, the disease. Joining a sorority. So I joined the sorority and they thought I was really cool in the beginning and they wanted me to be the social chair and, you know, the person who was in charge of telling the chicks what they could and couldn't wear for rush to be the bitch, which I'm really good at. But um, but I engaged in unfatal like behavior many times. <laughs> the one that I really I stole someone's um, uh, their uh, dresser out of their bedroom because we lived in this big huge house and they had you know they had good dressers and I stole one out of this chick's room because I wanted it but they were all numbered like I was a total dumb fuck I didn't <laughs> somehow I thought she wasn't gonna notice and. Um, so that was the first start of my unfatal-like behavior. And then I got in big trouble because I was walking. We call it down the hill. I don't know if anybody had the Berkeley. So we were going up the hill um, on Durant. And I was yeah, and my, my, somehow I was yelling at the president, who was my friend. Oh, I thought who was my friend. And I was saying, hey, you whore. I was yelling that. And then I got in trouble because I guess she didn't want to be called a whore. <laughs> I don't know. So I got called into standards. And I remember them yelling at me saying, you don't know how to behave. And like these old ladies who have no life. Their only life is to go and tell, like, the college kids, like, how to behave and, like, their standards for behavior. So they told me I didn't know how to behave, and I was like, I don't think I said fuck you, but I pretty much was saying that in other ways that weren't so direct. And uh, and then I moved, did I move out that time? I think my family, my, and my family was great for rushing in and, like, saving me and giving everyone dirty looks and moving me out and rescuing me and then talking shit about how much they hated everyone and they were all assholes, and I think they moved me out. And, uh, and then I just, I had these, I just would always get into really unhealthy relationships. Can you believe it? Like I come from a fucked up family 
And, um, oh, I forgot to talk about. So, my father was a motherfucker. He was, um, he was a fucking prick. Um, I had, like, all these nicknames for him. One was Buttlick. But, oh, was, but I shortened it, and I would call him Lick, and he wouldn't know what it meant. And I'd spit in his food. And I cleaned, did I, I can't remember if I made, my friend did this or I, because I don't remember, clean, I think I maybe cleaned the toilet with his toothbrush, but he really deserved it. He was, my father was, um, so he was an alcoholic, and he, here was my dad. My dad pretended like he was Mr. Nicey Nice, he would run over and help the neighbors with their groceries, and Ed's such a swell guy, everyone loved him at church, and my friends were like, oh, Ed, he's so great. But, like, you get, the doors would be closed, and I would wash my clothes too early in the morning, and I would get fucking backhanded. Or, you know, when we were little girls and we'd go into church, he'd be leaning, because my sister and I would fight, he'd lean back and fucking slap our legs. Or, um, you know, my family's friends would joke because my dad would choke me out, get me into headlock and choke me out. And, um, and they used to laugh about that. I thought it was really funny. And, you know, get me on the ground and kick me and do things like that. Like, he was a sick fucker. He would chase us around the house and, you know, beat us with belts. And, um, he was just, he was really sick. And, um, you know, the good thing is when I got older, I was able to fight back. And so, like, I love that I can say that, that I fucking fought back and I punched him or kicked him back. And I did shit. Like, I feel like that's, like, good. But, I mean, it's really not very good. But um, but at least I got to fight that fucker. Like, I wasn't going to go down without a fight. And um, so that's how I grew up. And... Um, I was really good in school, and I did have problems bullying kids at school. Want to know why? The headlocks and shit like that. Um, Yeah, you know? I teach now. When I see kids that are bullying, I'm like, what the fuck is going on in their home? Like, something's going on. I know it. Something's going on. So I went into trouble for, like, saying mean things to little girls. And my grandma was a nursery school teacher, and I remember there was this little girl who walked in, and my grandma said, what a pretty chest. And I said, yeah, pretty ugly. I was like that kind of a little girl. I was like, dick. Or I'd be like, nice hair. Like some little girl would get her hair perm, and I'd be all, mm, nice hair. And I would get in trouble. Or you're dressed like a clown because she had like a striped outfit on. So I had some issue, behavioral issues. And um, I always had headaches, really. Bad. And I think now that they were stress headaches, that I was the identified patient in my family. So they would take me to all these doctors and they'd have me wired, you know, to find out what was wrong with my head, but like no one ever asked, uh, what's going on at home? Oh, and they used to take us to therapy. That was fun. So we'd go to therapy with a family and they would talk about how my sister and I fought, but they never talked about the fact that my father was a drunk and a drug dealer and he used to beat us up. Like that just somehow got passed over in a therapy. Like you thought it'd be pretty slick to not have your kids bring that up in therapy or like, I don't know how that happens, but that happened. So we didn't get any help there. And, um, uh, yeah, it wasn't any good. So I grew up really fearful and, uh, I had major anger and, um, you know, I remember when I was little cause I had all this anger and I had nothing to do with it. I always felt shitty. I was always afraid. And I remember having this big bag of, um, shoes and I would get it when I'd get beat up or something was unfair. And I just get my shoes and I'd wail them against the walls or I'd punch my walls in kick my walls in. So all my walls had holes in them and I, my bedroom window, I punched that in. Um, I tore the um, the sliding doors off of my closet and the door off the hinge. So that was my bedroom. <laughs> and um, my parents would always say, when you can handle your anger, we'll get you a new door. Like that. <laughs> like, yeah, right? Fucked up psycho family. So um, that was no good. So then I got to college and I got in trouble there. And when I would get in all these really psycho relationships because I was – you know, an alcoholic, and I was um, the best. I listened to this Alan on CD, and they talked about how people who grow up in alcoholic homes have a very high tolerance for inappropriate behavior, and I was like, that's fucking it. <laughs> that explains my entire life. That explains every relationship. Sorry, honey. Every relationship I've been in, like, um, yeah, explains every relationship I, uh, yeah. So I had these really sick relationships in college with this guy who, um, was like flirting with one of his professors and the professor started calling me. Like it was insane. Um, so I had problems in college and then I got out and, um, I, you know, I, I was, I was really bright and I worked really hard. And so I got out and I got, you know, I had good jobs and, um, and then I, when all, all the shit started going downhill was I was living in San Francisco with my boyfriend and, um, 
And I would always have like these emotional like outbursts and like we would fight. And I was like, it's because I'm Mexican and he's Chinese. Like he has no emotion and I have too many emotions. And um, like I was really believed. I always thought it was my relationships. And um, and at this point, uh, and he was like a total square ball. Poor guy. Oh, he had no idea what he was getting into. And um, I smoked pot every single day at that time. Like, I'd get up, and I'd go outside on this little stoop um, of his house, and I'd smoke. I'd hit my pipe. And then whenever I drank, I was a blackout drinker. So I would be okay during the week most of the time if I wasn't drinking. Or if I drank, I would just say really inappropriate things to people. And then on, like, I'd go to parties and stuff like that. Like, like shit. Like, I, you sometimes I think about some of the stuff I said to people. Like, I remember being at this party in San Luis Obispo and being hammered, and my mom was there, and I told somebody... I asked some guy, I'm like, you want to fuck my mom? Like, that kind of, and my mom was right there. Like, that, I was, like, like, when I drank, it just was so unattractive. It was really, and then people would tell me what I said afterwards. Like, I remember I was at this other party, and um, this is kind of when I was hitting bottom, and I don't know what was happening, and I just was all, like, I don't know. I would always talk about trailer park trash. You're a trailer park trash, white trash. Like I would always go there. I don't know why. Oh, because I grew up in Castro Valley. People would say shit to me about being Mexican, so I think I have some issues. Um. So then, yeah. So then, so I'm living with this guy, and um, and he's helping me control my drinking. We'd go out, and he would, I'd, he'd say, "Are you gonna drink?" And I'd be like, "Yeah." He's like, "I'm gonna." I'd be like, "Okay, well, don't only let me drink one." So he would be like, "Okay, you've had your one," and then I'd be like. And go like find like a some bartender at another upstairs or downstairs from where we were and um get drinks from them and um and so when it all kind of came crashing down, I was so I was living with him and I went out with this girlfriend and I had this like feeling inside myself that I should not go out that night. I just had this feeling, don't go out, Leah. And I was like, mm, told my girlfriend I'd go out and meet her, I'm gonna go out. So we went out um to Union Street. And I was just going to have a couple drinks. I have no idea how, how much I drank because I was in, in and out of a blackout, which was typical for me. I'd start, like, a couple drinks. And I don't even think that I was a really – I was pretty much a lightweight, but um, maybe four or five, six, who knows, eight. And I was in a blackout. And I was going to drive her home. So we get in the car. And she lives in San Francisco. And um, what happened What? wait, no, sorry. i got to go back. That's another – that's the second story. So the first story, I'm at my boyfriend's house, and I'm with the same girl – and he's calling me, come home, come home. And I've got his little convertible um, BMW, which he, like, didn't want to let, ever let me drive. And I'm driving around in a blackout, and he wants me to come home. And he's calling me, and I'm saying, fuck you. And I hang up on him. Fuck you. And so I get home, and I <laughs> crash it into his garage. And then he, I was in and out of a blackout, so he basically told me to get my shit and get out. And he called my mom and said, come and get her. And he was done with me. Because I'd done lots of other crazy shit, just imagine. And, um, <laughs> just imagine. Okay. Poor guy, he never saw it coming. Um, I, he was probably like, ooh, hot Mexican chick with big tits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't realize I had mental problems. <laughs> So then, uh, so he proceeds to try and throw me out. I lock myself up and I lock myself up in his bathroom and I, um, tried to kill myself by drinking. I had like aspirin and like Benadryl and I drank a bottle of hydrogen peroxide. <laughs> Tasty. It was bubbly. <laughs> and then I guess they called, I think my mom got there before they called the, um, the paramedics and I just remember them holding me and I was like staggering down the, um, whatever, the, the, the stairs, and then they took me to um, Cal Pacific, and they pumped my, this is in the city, and they pumped my stomach, and then they took, they thought it would be a good idea for me to go into the psych ward, so <laughs> it was so pathetic, so I go to the psych ward, and I didn't even get so rough for this, I go into the psych ward, and I remember there was a chick that was, I was rooming with, and I was like, um, uh, yeah, it's, I was like, I has her bloody underwear in the sink. I told the nurse, and the nurse went, and she was like, there's no bloody underwear there. Like, I was crazy, and I was all, oh, my God, I'm in a mental hospital. They think I'm crazy. Like, I just realized. Okay. So I was there, and I told them and I was an alcoholic, and then I got out, and I started going to meetings. That was it. And it was, um, I was working at the Gap headquarters then, and um, there was a, an AA meeting. Oh, that's where my first AA meeting was actually in. They had an H&I meeting that came in, and this guy, like, had a great story. And I was like, good for him. He seems like his life is really fucked up. Mind you, I was in a psych ward. <laughs> but I, and I got a big book, and he got me, he gave me a 12 and 12. And um, 
and I bought out and I went to meetings for maybe like a couple months, but I didn't, I don't think I ever introduced myself. I, um, you know, I got out and I think three months later I was on a date and then, uh, drank cause I was uncomfortable. And then I was out for maybe like a year and then I was with the same girlfriend drinking up in Union Street and, um, trying to drive her home in San Francisco but somehow I ended up across the um, Bay Bridge, uh, the Golden Gate Bridge in Marin in a blackout, driving like 90 miles an hour, weaving in and out. This is according to the police reports. Weaving in and out, going 90 miles an hour, and then they pulled me over. And I was like, I knew when they pulled me over, I was like, like, what am I, like, okay. I'm dressed real cute, but that's not going to get me out of this one. <laughs> and um, so they pulled me over, and um, and they're all, do you want to call anyone? What, oh, they take me to the Marin County Jail. They're all, do you want to call anyone? I'm like who the fuck, I mean, I'm going to call my parents after they've had to come to, um, you know, Cal Pacific when I got my stomach pumped, and there was another ac accident, actually, that I forgot to mention when I was college, and I was 21, and um, uh, at that at that time, uh, it was my ex-boyfriend, his best friend was driving, we were all drinking and driving, and he crashed into a pole, and um, my ex-boyfriend was killed, and my face hit the windshield, and they life flighted me to UC Davis, I, I forgot, this is kind of a big part of the story. Uh, they life-flighted me to UC Davis Medical Center because they thought I was going to die. And then they, um, I remember being on the, on the, um, I don't know where it was. It was on a big metal, like, table. I think they were inspecting my face because I was really fucked up. Um, my ear had been torn off my head and my face was just all open. And, uh, I just remember laying on there and they were being really mean to me. And they, and I was like, I'm going to throw up. And they got this bucket and they just shoved my head in it. And, and I threw up and they're like, yeah, drinking and driving. I just remember them saying that and telling me. Yeah, since they're they're shitty to me, and uh, and then I kept drinking. Yeah, that was when I was twenty one. Okay, so back to the story. So um, I go so so I'm not calling anyone in Marin County Jail, and they um they close the plexiglass door, and then like a couple hours later, I was all I think I'd like to call someone, and they're all sorry, we we already offered you that opportunity, and I was like, holy shit. Like, I'm in fucking jail. Like, and I felt like a loser. Like, it wasn't even so much that I got into DUI that I was in jail. Like with the door closed and I couldn't get out. And I mean, that, it, it, that was utter powerlessness. Like I, I got that, but I didn't get why I didn't really get it with my alcoholism. So then I got out and uh, my sister had me call my cousin who was in the program who once before mentioned that I might go to an AA meeting and I laughed it off. I was like, mm, I don't think I need that. And um, I did. And so what I did was I started going back to those meetings at the, it was in the Starbucks, the back room of the Starbucks on Spear and Howard, if you ever, uh, noon time every day, Monday through Friday in San Francisco. Great, great meeting. So I started going there and I just started sitting on the floor and crying and telling them, you know, what had happened. I got a DUI and da, 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 da. And I was like, I, I, I'd hit such a hard bottom that, and I was so ashamed and, um, I, I don't think, I obviously couldn't have gone any farther down. And, um. Oh, but I didn't get sober then either. Okay, wait. So I uh, so I started going to those meetings again, and I went for about, I think, nine months, and then I got into another relationship with another fuck face. And, um, and then he was being a prick, and I was out, and I started drinking O'Doul's. Like, and I was drinking them alcoholically, like one after, give me another O'Doul's, give me another. But I was like, I'm not drinking. And then I was with my girlfriend, and then I smoked pot. And then that, and that was October 23rd, 2001. So that was the, that was at the end of it. And so what I didn't do all those times that I kept, well, I was trying to, I think I'd gotten a couple sponsors and they just weren't, they were just kind of flaky and they were, you know, like the one sponsor I had was a friend of mine. She was like, you don't need to do that immense. You don't need to do that immense. You don't need to do that immense. And I was like, I don't have to do anything. But I drank and I went out. Um, so what happened was, so I started going to meetings again, um, and then I moved to the Bay Area, to the East Bay, and uh, and I started going to the Berkeley Fellowship Fund, and um, and then I got thirteen steps by Brian over there at about six months, and because he said I um, somehow I misrepresented myself when I shared because I sound like I had it all together, turning <laughs> red, and um, the guy in the black V neck right there, thirteen steps. <laughs> And that was sweet early sobriety relationship. But uh, now we're married. <laughs> Think about that. One. Um, so I got into a relationship with him, and he had a really strong program. And I just remember being totally crazy. I don't know what it some brawl. I'm sure I was throwing something at him or threatening something. And he's all, "How long are you gonna 
suffer before you do something. And I was like, oh, fuck you. So, like, that weekend I went out and I got a therapist and I got a sponsor. And um, and I got a commitment because I was going to show him that I was going to have a good program. And that was kind of, you know... That's how my program started, being 13th step. And, uh, you know, luckily, it could have turned out another way if I'd gotten together with someone who had a shitty program. Like, literally, I mean, it's AA just kind of in a not so, well, yeah, whatever. It's AA. I did learn a lot of stuff from him uh, in early sobriety, like, you know, getting a sponsor, going to meetings and stuff like that. And, you know, he was a really good um, role model for me in that, in, in that, um, in that particular way. Um, but it was a fucking nightmare. Like that relationship, us. Oh my god! I think what we got a therapist like our first like, you know, within our first year we we're already going to therapy. Totally, a <laughs> uh, uh, relationship. And uh, and like through they always talk about how um, getting into a relationship is like pouring um, miracle grow on your character defects, and that that was it. Like we had to do work because we were together. And, um, and like literally like that saved my life. Like it did. It saved my life. I, you know, we would go to meetings together. Um, you know, I just, I watched him. I watched him talk to newcomers. I watched him, I listened to him make amends to me when he'd fuck up. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, I don't know. And, and then I started to change and the therapist that we got really, she was a program person and, uh, you know, I love, it was a couple years ago, I think it was Dolores, um, and if you guys know Dolores, so she was, she was sharing in a meeting, and she was like, I remember some, this person who came in really angry, and she was looking at me, she's like, really angry, and I just watched her soften, you know, and she's a completely different person, I like realized that she was talking about me, and I was like, you know, I, I had a lot more issues, like sometimes it's hard to like see out of yourself, but I think in AA a lot of times what happens is other people see um, the changes in you before you see them yourself, and thank God for that because, um, you know, it definitely keeps me coming back when I hear that I'm growing through other people's eyes. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, what can I say about AA? Um, it is the most amazing thing that I've um, ever done in my life. Everything that I looked for in drugs and alcohol to fill that hole, to fill that, um, to get rid of the um, sense of impending doom, all of that has been, not all of it, but but a, a huge chunk of it has been filled up with AA, like a sense of, of um, a sense of purpose. Like I never had a sense of purpose, and when I got sober, I was like, I got it. I was like, you know, and it tells us, the book says, you know, we're, we're meant to be a maximum service to those about, uh, among us, especially other alcoholics. I mean, that's one of the steps. We're here to, to pass this message to other alcoholics. And I, and, I, and I take that very seriously. You know, when I see someone suffering in the meeting, I, I, if there's anything that I can do to reach my hand out to them, to ease their stress by listening or calling them or texting them or sponsoring them, whatever it is that I can do, I will do it because someone did it for me. You know, some... You know, there were people in meetings where I was fighting with Byron, and I remember this guy named David P., but he held me in the meeting because I just wanted to go out because I was crazy jealous because I thought he was looking at some young girl that came in the meeting. Like, I was, he may have been, were you? <laughs> uh, he probably was. Okay. Uh, so David P., I remember him holding, he was holding me like this in the meeting, so I wouldn't leave. And, like, you know... People like that, like, um, you know, just people that would listen to me, or crazy shit, or, you know, a sponsor that would be like, you know, Leanne, when people do things to you, you get to choose whether or not you want to be in a relationship with them. Like, just all this wisdom. You know, there's some also crazy shit, but, you know, as you know that. Um, there's there's people here that have got it together, and there's people here who don't. And, uh, you know, I sometimes I have it together, sometimes I don't. And I'm always very honest about that. You know, I think I'm kind of known for sharing crazy shit in meetings, and, and, uh, <laughs> but you know what? People laugh at me a lot, but my ass is still here. Like, I don't go anywhere because I get that shit out of me. Like, the crazy thoughts, the crazy shit that I do, like, I'm ready to share it all because I don't want to keep that in me because I don't want to, I don't not want to go back to that life where I woke up and I had to fucking use to feel kind of okay. And then I'd have to drink to, like, get rid of the, you know, the thoughts about stealing thousands of dollars of clothing at Nordstrom's or wherever I was because I, I had that problem too. I was a huge couple. Um, so that sponsor that I have, that for that real, my first real sponsor that I have, she was kick ass. She was like, "Don't show up to my house if you haven't done your reading." Um, uh, you know, it's not what you. It, 
your, uh, what did she say? Your actions determine the sincerity of your intentions. It's not what you say you do. It's what you really do that matters. So I like, she was like, did you go to a meeting? Well, I was going to, she's like, I don't fucking care if you were planning on going. Did you go to the meeting? And I was like, so I learned to go to meeting. I had to go to five meetings a week. Yeah, she was hardcore. But it was like, I was kind of scared, which was good. I needed someone that was hard ass who like had these high expectations for me. Cause I usually, you know, in school or whatever, I, I will, you know, meet, meet those expectations because I want to please people. And so, you know, doing the steps with her really like solidified the foundation of my program. Like I, and I watch people, you know, I tell my students, I'm like, you know, in math, watch for patterns of things. There's always patterns or patterns in spelling, there's patterns in math. And I figured out the pattern here. The pattern here in AA is if you want, if you want to stay here, if you want to live, you've got to do the steps. You have to do them. And, and, uh, and here, right here in the book, it says, um, where does it say? Next, we launched out on a course of vigorous action. It doesn't say we fucking thought about shit and were scared and <laughs> complained and procrastinated. We launched out on a course of vigorous action. So when I got that sponsor, that's what she, she was all about fucking being rigorous. And honest. And so, you know, I, I read the big book with her over several weeks and then it was a weekend. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I did steps one through eight. And that next Monday, I went out and started doing my men's. Like it was like boom, boom, boom. Like I did all my financial amends. I think that following week, I went to every single store that I stole from. Rite Aid, Nordstrom, Banana Republic, The Gap, Old Navy, um, <laughs> Nima Market. There's more. Payless. Yeah, I went to every single one, I paid them back, I returned things, like it was like total house cle- you know, keeping, and, or house cleaning, and um, and I started making them ends, and I, you know, I, I, at that point I don't think I was scared, I just wanted to get that shit done, like, and that's kind of the way I am with AA now, it's like, I've learned that, um, and my husband, you know, recently reminded me, because I, um, you know, most of my life is pretty, pretty calm and pretty relaxed except for we fight sometimes and I teach and so I have these fucking psychotic parents that sometimes will just like or these teachers that I work with that are just fucking assholes that like try and tell you what to do and like you're not my administrator I really really try and keep out of other people's shit I really really do I think I'm pretty good about that um but once you've done something to me I will fucking hate you and I will pray for your death in a fiery car crash like that's one of my defects, you know? That's that's the old That's the old behavior that I'm really trying to shed. And it's I'm fucking comfortable. My husband's like, you need to get out of your comfort zone, Leah. Of course it's gonna be uncomfortable for you to be nice to these people, to say hello in the morning to them when you wanna fucking ignore them, which is what I do. I just ignore them, I'll walk by and I don't say hello. And uh and so I try it, you know, I try and step out of the comfort zone and I'm like, hi, good morning. And God will like put these situations, you know, before me so that I can do that, like where no one's in the room except for this fucking cunt. And, uh, and I, I have to say, you know, I gotta say good morning. So, um, you know, I think in AA, especially, you know, old habits die hard, like really hard, especially with us. We're, I mean, I don't know about you, for me, I'm fucking hard headed, I'm stubborn. I'm really passionate about shit that I believe in. And, uh, and it's hard shedding some of that old stuff. But, but honestly, through working the steps, I've gotten rid of so much stuff. Like, it's unbelievable to me. Like, it's unbelievable to me because I'm actually able to sometimes forgive people and, like, have a relationship with them after. You know, usually it's when they've done something small to me. I still, when people have, like, really betrayed my, my confidence because I'm, I'm the type of person, I've always been like this, like diehard loyal. Like if you are my friend, I will bend over backward. I will do anything for you. But then again, like I say, if you ever do something to me, like really, yeah. Yes. So, um, you know, I, uh, I, I can't say enough good things about AA. Okay. So I was talking about the pattern. So the pattern is if you want to stay here, you have to do the steps. I mean, it tells you that in the book, um, you know, and hopefully you get a sponsor who do, does it right out of the book. There's a lot of people who have their own weird, like, gimmicky shit, or they've got this long lineage of people in the program that you have to do this, and you can't do this, but it's really just, you know, it's a textbook, and it's in the book, and so I, I work directly out of it. I read it. We do exactly what it says to do in the big book, and and you hear a lot of shit that's not AA, and so I'm kind of, you know, I'm sometimes leery unless it's in there. I don't necessarily always believe it, but... um so, to stay here, you gotta work the steps. You gotta be in the middle of the pack. It's that cliche, you know, they talk about in Africa how 
the zebras on the outside are the ones that get, you know, eaten off by the lions. And I, and from everything that I've seen, if you are totally involved in AA, you have a commitment, you have a home group, you let people know you by sharing your shit, you know, um, you go to meetings frequently, um, you have a sponsor, you sponsor, you know, or sponsor people, chances are you're not going to go out. I mean, I think it happens, but from everything that I've seen that people that really work their program don't go out. I mean, that's been my case. Like I, you know, I will fuck up. I will do stupid shit. I will open my mouth. Like I will, you know, be a total asshole to my husband. But as long as I'm doing, you know, as long as I make my amends, as I, you know, I clean my side of the street, I, you know, try and pray and have a moment of pause before I want to go off on somebody. Like usually that kind of stuff will, you know, save my ass every time. You know, I, I couldn't live my life if I, if I didn't use the steps in my life. I, I, I try, you know, the best of my ability. Like I said, I have bad days or I'm an asshole when I'm driving or, um, you know, I, uh, but I do things today that I would have never done. Like, like you were saying, the, um, the, the, the sick person's prayer. You know, this is a sick person. How can I be helpful to him? God save me from being angry. That will be done because anger will get me every time. Like I, that my therapist likes to remind me that anger is my most, um, accessible emotion. Because it is like that's that was my my um that was what I used to survive in my home anger to like ward my father off or ward whoever was trying to get me off and um but AA I I, I you know I, I can't I can't say enough about Alcoholics Anonymous and and honestly the little bit of work that I put into AA pays like tenfold. Like, you know, I go to three meetings a week. Okay, that's three hours. I meet with my sponsor. That's an hour. I meet with two of my sponsees. That's seven hours. I read pages 86 to 88 every morning. And then I do the third step and seventh step pair on my knee. That's two minutes. So two times what? Seven. That's 14 minutes. So that's six hours. Wait, seven. Like, like maybe eight hours, honestly. Like maybe eight hours. Maybe talking on the phone with people. So, okay, maybe nine hours a week. Like, and I get this fucking amazing life, you know. I have my husband and we're programmed together. You know, we um, had a son. He'll be two on Monday. And, um, you know, the fact that I'm not doing the shit to him that was done to me, like, that is, that's fucking AA and that's hot. Like, I'm certain that if I didn't get sober, I'd be doing the same shit that my father did, you know, and my mother did, um, you know, sitting by and watching horrible things happen to my children, my child. And, um, and I get to um, respond to him with love and kindness and understanding. And um, and I have that pause. Like, when he's doing crazy shit, I'm just like, he's a fucking kid. Like, he's going to chew the fucking plaster off the walls. Like, <laughs> whatever. Like, no, nothing, nothing is end of the world, you know? Nothing is end of the world with my kid that I need to yell, um, hit him, scare him. Like, that is not, that is not who I am. Like, I... You know, sometimes I think people may, maybe get scared of me because I, you know, I swear a lot and I, you know, they hear me talking about praying for people dying and, you know. <laughs> but I do really have a big heart and, um, and, uh, and the reality is, is that I'm just like each, each one of you, you know, like when we walk into meetings, we get scared and we're self-conscious and we worry if people are looking at us or judging us or what are they thinking about my hair or whatever weird shit we've got, you know, my stomach sticking out or whatever. Um. You know, I'm just, I'm just, you know, that little Leah is still scared and little Leah is um, still unsure of people and little Leah just wants to um, feel like she's safe wherever she goes and, uh, and um, you know, and I get, I feel safer, I feel like I'm able to trust people more by coming into these rooms and getting the love and support from people in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I've never found a place that has more unconditional love in it than Alcoholics Anonymous. I've never been to a place where I've seen people reach out to people that no one else in the fucking world would reach out to, you know? And, um, you know, there's, 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 um, you know, there's, there's things in the rooms that, um, that I don't, you know, or people in the rooms that I have a hard time with. And, um, and that's just life. You know, there's going to be things, there's going to be people I don't like, there's going to be situations that I don't like. And if I, can, you know, keep my mouth shut and, and be a worker among workers um, and, uh, and you know, extend my hand to another alcoholic that's suffering and do them a good turn, then, um, you know, I know my life is going to be better for it. And I know other people, you know, will, you know, hopefully stay here. Um, you know, if you're, especially if you're new, um, 
I really, really, really want to encourage you to get a sponsor ASAP. Like, you know, this is your fucking life, and this is a um, fatal illness that we have. So if our alcoholism is untreated, meaning if we're not doing the program, we're more likely to die. Um, you know, the odds are not good for alcoholics, but um, if you're an AA and you're doing the things, you know, like I said, working the big book with, an, with a sponsor and coming to meetings and sharing your shit and going to meetings and calling other people and re in if you feel so uncomfortable and you're scared that people aren't welcoming to you fucking reach your hand out and you know approach someone else like that and that i try to do when i come to meetings and i feel uncomfortable if i don't know anybody and i'm like hi i'm leah hi hi you know because um like i said everyone's just scared we're all you know like scared little kids you know and and uh and i think that's our greatest gift because despite all the shit that we've gone through um you know you know, you can overcome this. This is something that can be overcome, but um, not without doing the work, you know? So it, it is your actions that determine the sincerity of your intentions. If you want to fucking stay sober and you want to stay here and you don't want to die, you got to do the work. you got to pick up the book. you got to get a sponsor. you got to do the shit that it takes to stay here. And um, and I and I am, you know, a result of, of, of the work, you know? And everyone else here who's been here for some time is a result of the work, you know? I don't think people stay around here that don't do the work, so... I think about like 30 seconds. Um, thank you for listening. I hope I wasn't a suck ass speaker. That was my fear. I'm like, I don't want to be the suck ass speaker. Um, um, uh, yeah. So get a sponsor if you don't have one. If you haven't called your sponsor, call your sponsor. If you, uh, the next meeting that you go to, share some shit that you don't want to share. Get out of your comfort zone. All right. That's it. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.